0: to preach to you today and I hope I hope you get it all right I, I don't I don't know I don't know I really don't know if I'm going to have much more luck uh, getting to you today as Arkansas is going to have being Kentucky here in just a little bit hey but at least we're there right and at least you're here right all right fantastic hey from last week have you got your worship on All right, just checking, all right. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. This is my last sermon in the series of Holy Habits. So you don't know how to respond to that, do you? Uh, We've only been in this series like for a year and a half now, you know, it seems like. Uh, It's been eight Sundays that I've preached on Holy Habits. And uh, what we've been trying to do during this little series is train ourselves for godliness. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself for godly living. Now, the fact that we have been saved is just a miracle from God, is it not? I mean, it's by His grace and His mercy. All of us are sinners who can't save ourselves, but through the grace of Jesus, we can have redemption. That is, we can be made right with God. And His love and grace comes into our heart. It transforms us. It changes us from the inside out, and the Bible says it makes us new creations in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. That is a great miracle. That's only the beginning point, all right? The starting point is to be saved. After that, God expects us to grow. Now, I love little babies, don't you? In fact, my encouragement is y'all just keep having babies, all right? We want to have as many babies here as we can. Uh, I love little babies. They're great, but you know what? A little baby sooner or later has to grow up. Something's not right with a baby if it doesn't grow up. And that's the way it is in our Christian life. God wants us to grow up into spiritual maturity. And that takes effort. It's hard work on our part. But that's what Paul says to do. You make every effort to grow in godliness. And the way we do that is by establishing holy habits in our life that we do and work on every single day. One of the ways that we do that is to build into our lives the habit of building Christ-centered relationships. Right? Christ-centered relationships. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 is all about, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that's you guys, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, right? You've been been given a high calling to be a follower of Jesus, a passionate follower of Christ. You take that calling seriously. And you do everything you can to walk worthy of the high calling that's been placed on your life. How do you do that? Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you? How about this? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? (laughs) Hey, that's where we're going right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless us with a word today. Speak through your scripture by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be the body that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here's the deal. Passionate followers of Jesus Christ are in the habit of building Christ-centered relationships. God has so designed the Christian life that it has to be lived out in Christ-centered relationships with other believers. A Christ-centered relationship is a relationship Where the energy and the dynamic of that relationship is the love of God through his son Jesus Christ. The love that should pulsate in every fellowship, in every church, is the love of Jesus. All right? It should be pulsating in my body, in my vein, in my heart, in yours, and in ours together. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul prayed for these believers, and this is what he prayed. Ephesians 3.17 I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. The full knowledge and experience of the love of Jesus Christ, that is, how long and how wide and how high and how deep His love is, cannot be discovered apart from Christ-centered relationships with other believers in the church. How, how do we grasp God's love? Well, it tells us right here. We do that together with all the saints. So can I just say, you can't be the Christian God wants you to be apart from or outside of the church of Jesus Christ. To be the Christian God has called you to be and to walk worthy of the vocation with which He has placed on your life has to be done in fellowship with other believers. Now, before we became believers, we got to choose our own friends. And we had complete freedom in picking and choosing with whom we would become close friends. Right? I mean, it's the way it is. However, when we became Christ followers, all of that changed. Right? From that point on, God has started choosing our friends for us as He places us in the body of believers that He wants us to be in, that is, the church that He has placed us in. Now, back when we chose our own friends, we typically gravitated toward people with whom uh, we had things in common with, people who were like us, people that we could get along with well, and If anything in that relationship went awry, if it went wrong, we felt perfectly justified to just walk away from the relationship. Right? See ya. Adios. We're not getting along. See ya. Go find another friend. But you know what? In the community of believers, we can't do that. When God places us in the church, that is the body of Christ, we do not have the freedom to simply walk away from relationships when something goes wrong. In fact, if you really want to know the whole story, God places us sometimes in those relationships with some pretty kooky people. Have you, have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and you're thinking, man, what, what, what has happened here? I mean, why, 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 am I, why am I having to put up with this person? Come on. I mean, I'm being real. Are you being real? I mean, why has God put me in this particular Sunday school class sitting by this particular person when they're crazy? I mean, they're just kooky. We don't have anything in common. What, what's going on here? You didn't know you came for this, did you? Well, let me tell you something, folks. It, it, sometimes it's not for your benefit. Because Jason just said it, it is not about me. God God may just be using you to help that person. You know what? Maybe you'll never get the reason why God has put you with a particular person. You don't have to. God just may be using you to provide a need that that person has in their life, and God is just using you to do that. You know what? That's okay. God can do that! Because this is His body. God uses the inevitable trials that come in relationships to strengthen faith, whether it's in that other person's life or whether it's in your life. Now, I want us to look at this amazing passage today and and help us to understand the truth of how all this occurs. First of all, we are told what we are to do. Verse 1 out of the NIV says, As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Uh, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison where he's in shackles. He's, he's writing to the members of the ancient church of Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. But, but why would he start off by saying, as a prisoner of the Lord? Well, it's because that's exactly what he was. He was, he was in prison. He was in prison because he was radically obedient to Jesus Christ Jesus told him to preach and so he preached and when he starts off reminding them of this he's signaling to them that walking worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ is the calling of glorifying God with our lives and it is worth it no matter what God calls us to do okay? for Paul it was spending time in prison but he said you know what it's worth it this is a high and holy calling God has given me. I need to be worthy of this call. And if it calls for me to live in prison or to do without something, I'm willing to give it up and do whatever God wants me to do. Because His calling is the most important thing. Now guys, let me tell you. We are never worthy of God's love. We're just not. Okay? Uh, we are all sinners. Okay? And really what we deserve from God is His judgment. I don't know why, but in the last few days, I've, I have, I've really been thinking about this in my own life. Uh, because I, I realize I don't deserve anything that God has blessed me with. I'm telling you. I have made some horrible mistakes in my life. And when I look back on my life, you know what? I, I see a big failure. Because I've made some, I've made some blunders. I am I am not worth anything God has given me. I'm not worth his salvation. I'm not worth his grace. I am not worthy to stand in front of you and preach the gospel to you. I'm not worthy. On my own. I have nothing that is worthy of anything God's done for me. But you know what? At the same time, I realize from the from the book of faith and the Holy Spirit speaking into my heart, I realize that God loves me immensely. Even in all my imperfections, God cares about me. And God looked down on this little punk kid from West Texas and said, You know what? I love that kid. Even though he has a calic in his hair and freckles on his face and has all these bizarre insecurities, I love him. And I'm going to save him. And I'm going to call him into my ministry. I don't deserve anything. And neither do you. Huh? But it's because of His grace that we are who we are. And once we come to Him, we realize, you know what? Okay, I didn't deserve any of this, but it's because of His grace and love. I am what I am. Therefore, I am going to live a life worthy of who I am as a Christ follower. So when you put on the name Christian, you need to live the life. Did you? That's a sermon all by itself. Do you realize that? You call yourself a passionate follower of Jesus, you know what? You need to live the life. There's a legendary story about the day that the famous Greek conqueror, Alexander the Great, heard that one of his young soldiers was being rebellious and disobedient to his superiors. And the young man's name happened to be Alexander. Alright? And so the, the great the great conqueror, Alexander, called this young soldier, whose name was Alexander, to his tent. And he asked him, have you been disobedient to your superiors? The young soldier said, yes. Have you been derelict in your duties as a soldier? The young man said, yes. Then the great Alexander looked him in the eye and said, then young man, either change your behavior or change your name. Wow. You see, the young soldier's behavior was not worthy of the renowned name Alexander. Boy, that makes me do a quick time out. Is my behavior, is my character, the way I live my life every single day, worthy of the name Jesus Christ. That's challenging right there, but you know what? It's who we are. Okay? It's what God has called us to be and to do. And again, you know what? God just telling me to say this right now. We, all, we are sinful people saved by the grace of God, okay? I, even though I'm striving per, for perfection, to be just like Jesus, I still stumble along the way, okay? Now, I'm not going out and committing adultery and, and doing all these kinds of things, but you know what? M- my temptation is right here, between these two ears, under this gray hair. It's mighty pretty, Dave. I know you are. He just said, I used to be able to do that. Boy, it was a long time ago. I don't even know where I was now. Where was I anyway before I started that rampage? See, yeah, my temptation's right here. You know what? We all make mistakes, we all sin. But God's grace is sufficient to draw us back to himself. Okay, And you you know what? You may have messed up last night. It may have been just as re- recent as last night that you didn't walk worthy of the vocation by which you were called. Okay, What I would say to you is, you know what? Just pull yourself up. Ask for his grace and forgiveness. And keep walking down the right trail. Don't give in. Don't give up. You keep walking for Jesus because that is what God has called us to do. To live a life worthy of that calling. How do we do that? Well, that's point number two. You might be a little surprised at what we're told of how we live a life worthy of the calling in Christ. It's really something very mundane. It doesn't say that we are to go to remote parts of the world to preach the gospel, even though God may call you to do that. It doesn't say that you have to be thrown into prison like Paul was, even though that may happen to some of you. No, it's really very basic. It's all about how we treat other people. Okay, Again, follow this train of thought. How do we live the life worthy of the calling by which we have been called? It's how we treat other people. It's just not what you say you believe. It's how you behave in relationships with people that you live with and people you go to church with. So, how do we live the life? Worthy of the calling, verse 2. He says you do that by being completely humble and gentle, being patient and bearing with one another in love. Again, God has called us in Jesus Christ to build Christ-centered relationships. And how we treat other people in the body of Christ is at the very center of who we are as a church and what we are to be about. Okay, Now this could include people you live with in your home, but it definitely, specifically, refers to people you go to church with. So, how do I show I am a follower of Jesus? By doing these four things. Right here they are. Number one, I'm humble. By being humble. I read this first of all out of the New King James and it uses the word with all lowliness. Though we have a high calling, we are not to be high-minded. We're to be humble. Now, being humble is the exact opposite of having pride and arrogance in your life. Humility flows out of our understanding of the basics of the gospel that we have believed. And it's this. I am so weak and so sinful and so flawed that Christ had to die for me in order for me to have a relationship with God. Yet at the same time, I am so loved by God that Jesus was willing to die for me. Okay, And I understand all that. I'm not worthy of it. But He's loved me enough to save me. And and because of that, knowing that strips the swagger... Out of my step. Tell you what, if I have anything to glory in, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. I think Tim Keller had it right when he said, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Did you get that? You just don't think about you. Boy, doesn't that cut cross grain against everything we've always been taught and the way this world operates. But church, i got a word from you, for you today and I think this came straight from God to me to give to you. Listen to this. It's not about me. None of this is about me. It's about we. It's not about me. It's about we. And when I get that, when I understand that, you know what? I can't be humble. I can, it's, not about, it's not about what I want. I don't have to get my way all the time. Because it's not just about me. I, I live in, in a house with four other people. Well, Whitney's gone, but she still comes home a lot. And Zane and I are always outnumbered, but our vote counts for two each, right? You huh? got all these good. You know what? I can't always have my way at 905 Kerry Lane because it's, Gary, it's not just about me, it's about we. And the same thing is true in this church it's not just about me, it's about we, it's about us. We are to be completely humble in all circumstances and in every relationship. And that's the first quality. You've got to have that one so you can move on to quality number two, which is this, be gentle. Be gentle. To be gentle is, is not to be harsh with people. Maybe your translation uses the word meek there. Let me tell you this, meekness is not weakness. Be gentle. Right? Be gentle. In fact, this is the word used for a wild stallion. Okay, now I'm getting am getting an image right now of a, of a good Western movie. I don't get to watch them because my you know it's not about me and I can't sit on my throne and watch Channel 301 all day long. Okay, my oh they, he turned it to 301 again. It's the Western channel. You know they don't let me do that because it's not about me. It's about them. <laughs> Do you taste the bitterness coming out of my mouth or anything? But I'm thinking of this Western here. Here's this stallion. Of, I don't know. Maybe it. You know the 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 pure white stallion. Nobody can ride. You know what he's doing. He's up woo, snorting out of it. Or maybe the black stallion. Yeah. Nobody can catch it. Nobody can ride it. This word "gentle" is the word used. For a wild stallion that's been conquered or tamed by the owner. So that this stallion is subdued by its master and obedient to it. It's still a stallion with muscles bulging everywhere. But it's been subdued. It's been tamed. It's now so gentle a little child can come up and rub its nose. The Bible says that's the way we need to be with each other gentle. I know how powerful you are. You have the power, James says, to destroy somebody else. Just with that. Boy, you can. You can. You can destroy other people's lives with your tongue. It's that powerful. You know what? As a true follower of Jesus, as a passionate follower of Jesus, I'm going to develop In my life, the habit of building relationships to the point that I am gentle with somebody, even even if they don't deserve me being gentle, I choose to be gentle with them. Because I'm living the life worthy of the calling. Number three, I'm patient. I'm patient. New King James uses the word long-suffering. The actual Greek word means long-tempered. That, that is in opposition to someone who is short-tempered. Have you ever heard someone and say, oh, they're short-fused. they got a short fuse on them. Boy, you light that fuse, you better get out of the house, baby. You know what I'm saying? Short-fused. You light their fuse and boom! You know? Now stay away from him. He's short-fused. Don't light her up, man, I'll tell you what. This word is the opposite of that. It means long-tempered. It's been defined as the spirit which has the power to take revenge, but it never does. This past week I was thinking about this word, and I, asked, I said, Lord, give me an image of this. And he gave me this crazy image of a uh, big, large dog, mature dog, older dog, and little bitty puppy. You ever seen a big, mature dog and a little bitty puppy together? All right. The the puppy's yapping at the big dog, the little puppy's worrying the big dog, the little puppy is biting the big dog, and all the time the big dog who has the power to annihilate that little puppy with one bite bears the irritation with dignity. That's the way God wants us to be. Patient. Lord have mercy we need to be more patient with each other, don't we? Husbands, you need to be pa- Wives. I said that wrong. Wives. You need to be patient with us. And you know what? Here in the body of faith, we need to be patient with each other. Now, in order for us to do that, we've got to come to the next thing, which is the last thing. That is this. Bearing with one another in love. In fact, that's what it says directly in verse number 2. Bearing with one another in love. What is this? This is relational endurance. Now we've all heard of physical endurance. Okay? Uh, a, a marathon runner has physical endurance. They have so trained their body that they can go out and run a marathon and have the physical capabilities of enduring that treatment to their body. Right? Physical endurance. What he's talking about in this verse is relational endurance. You see, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We all have quirks. We all have weaknesses. Left together long enough, we all get on each other's nerves. Don't we? You know what the Bible says right here? We are to endure these things in one another knowing that God has brought that person into our life and into this fellowship for a reason. And the power for this relational endurance comes from love. Not our love, because I don't have enough love to put up with all of you. Honestly. okay, It's God's love. It's agape love that does that. Unconditional, redemptive love. And let me tell you a story to show you how this works. Gordon McDonald uh, wrote in one of his blogs about going to an alcoholic anonymous meeting. Uh, AA is, is the group that meets and, and helps people who are struggling with addictions and supports one another and encourages one another. We have a program similar to that that happens every Monday night. It's called uh, Celebrate Recovery. All right, works on the same principle. Well, McDonald said that he visited the group because he had friends who were recovering alcoholics and and he just wanted to see for himself what these meetings were like. So he came in, he kind of sat to the side. and He said as the meeting started, a young lady, maybe in her mid-30s, walked in the door. Her name was Kathy. And Kathy sat in the group and and before long uh, she started sharing and talking. He said, but you know what? When I saw Kathy, he said, I realized that at one time she was a very beautiful young lady, but but life had been tough on Miss Kathy. He said her face was swollen, her eyes were red, her teeth were rotting, her hair was unwashed. And as she started sharing with the group, she said, I've been in five states in the last month. I've slept under bridges. I've been arrested. I've been raped. I've been robbed. By now she's starting to cry. She says, I I don't know what to do with my life. I don't want to be homeless anymore. But I can't stop drinking. I can't stop drinking. No matter what I do, I can't stop drinking. Well, sitting next to Kathy was a rather large woman named Marilyn. She had been sober for 12 years. Gordon said, Marilyn just reached over and pulled Kathy up close to herself and started patting her on the back. And she said, baby, baby, it's going to be okay. Baby, you're in the right place now. We can help you with this. You can overcome this. But baby, listen to me. You can't give up. You've got to keep trying. And you've got to stay with us. You've got to keep coming back. Do you understand. And then she kissed Kathy on top of the head. Church, can I tell you that that's a snapshot of what this church ought to be. That's a snapshot of what every church should be. Okay, there's one thing all of us have in common. We're all different. We all have our own likes and our own dislikes. But there's one thing we have in common. Every one of us in this room. Need the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Okay? Because we all have imperfections in our life. Understand that. You're not perfect, and neither is anybody else. We're all struggling with something, but God's grace is big enough for all of us. We're in this thing together, and we need to bear with one another. Bear with one another. Yeah, they're weird. Yeah, they've got their problems. But so are you! Let's bear with each other. Let's bear with each other. Now, let's go back to Ephesians 4. The reason we are to live this way in relationships in the church is because we are moving towards a goal. It's stated in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity and community in the church doesn't just happen automatically. Okay? It doesn't just happen automatically. That's why Paul said back in 1 Timothy 4-7, you train yourself for godliness. It takes discipline. And it takes work to be godly. You know what? The same thing is true in the church. We have to work. We have to make every effort and work hard at it if we're going to have unity here at Kavanaugh Church. I know a lot of people are on a quest for the perfect church. Looking for the perfect church. Well, perfect is defined by whether or not that that church meets the the needs that this person has in relationships. and, And if it doesn't, if this particular church is not meeting all of these felt needs that this particular person has, they'll just hop from one church to the next church. Looking for the right atmosphere. Same things happen in marriages, okay? We know it does. Can I tell you something, though? The grass is not greener down the street or across town, okay? There are no perfect churches. I just blew your bubble. You thought you were in the perfect church. And, and, And just to follow the old adage, if you do find a perfect church, don't join it then it won't be perfect anymore. We, we are to work hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit. But you know what? When we do that, there is a reward. What is the reward? It's the bond of peace. It's the peace of God. Have you ever been in a church where you, you walk in and you say, man, without any song being sung, without any word being preached, without anything happening, you just walk in the door and you think, there's a spirit about this place. Huh? Well, it's the peace of God. It's there because the people have chosen to get along with each other. Peace is the mighty cable that binds us together, it's, it's the holy glue that sticks us together. So, we are to work hard to maintain the, the unity of the spirit, and because of that, we have the bond of peace. We are told what we are to do, live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By protecting the unity of the Spirit through humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. And then, number three, my last point, and I'll do this in quick. Why do we do it? Why should we do this? Well, it tells us in verses four through six. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now I'm not real smart, but I can tell you, I I can read those few verses and I can say, there is a common theme in those verses. It's in the word one. Seven times he uses that word. You know what he's describing though? He's describing who God is. The Trinity. You know the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is absolutely no disunity in the Godhead. They are one. They get along with each other. They love each other. They protect one another. They're one. And along with that, there is one salvation. There's one church. Everything about God is one. I mean, there's one. He has called us to be one. Since He's one, He wants us to be one. And and I guess one of the amazing things about this is is when you put it in, in context to the church that this was written to, this church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. People who had this religious background who thought they were better than anybody else and these dirty, rotten, no-good-for-nothing sinners, who actually, before this church was established, the Jews looked down their noses at these Gentiles. But you know what this church is made up of now? Both Jews and Gentiles. That's what they were in the past. Now, they were Christ followers. Christians. Do you see what this is getting at? Everybody in this room is different. Now I know we have similarities, you know. Some are better looking than others. Some think they're better looking than others. This, that, the other, we all have our quirks. You know what? We're different. We're different. Isn't it cool how God's brought us together, though? Isn't that awesome? It's because He's one. Because He's one, He's called us to be one. How do I know if I'm doing a good job walking worthy of the vocation by which God has called me? Well, Paul says it's determined by how you get along with people in the church. how you doing? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would do something just awesome and amazing in this service. Or there's somebody in here that needs to be saved. They've they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and today needs to be their day of salvation. I pray that that person would trust you as their Lord and Savior and give, give to you their life. Lord, for the Christian who is here who just strayed and is away from you, I pray that today they would come home For others who have needs in their life, may they feel the freedom during this time of prayer just to come to these altars and and lay it out to you and ask for your help. Lord, for the rest of us, for all of us in this room, may we realize the precious gift that you've given to us, and that's this church and the unity that we have. And I pray, dear Lord, that, that you would help us today to make a decision here at the altar to start this holy habit in our life to build Christ-centered relationships to learn how to be humble and gentle and patient and how to bear with each other in love Lord, I don't know, there uh, there may be problems in relationships right here today, in homes or in this church that need to be dealt with I can't think of a better time to do it than, than right now in your presence. Give us the courage to do that, to do what's right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. The praise team's going to sing. The alt, the our altars are open, okay? And we just we encourage you to come and pray. If God is calling you to come and pray, would you? Just come right now.